Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Wow, so good to be with you tonight. Megan, why don't you come and join me because we want to hear at least something from you. Pastor Eric, thank you for that kind welcome. I was going to say the same thing. You know, we met in uh, Ascension Coffee, which is a pretty good coffee place in Dallas, and uh, we talked about guns and shooting things, and uh, he knew a lot about it. I didn't know anything about it, and uh, we just hit it off. We, we were like old best friends, and uh, so it is such a privilege and an honor to be with you tonight. This is a beautiful part of the world, man, driving here from dinner tonight. What a beautiful place you live in. You really are blessed. I, I think God has done something special in this part of Texas. So I, I made the mistake of telling someone once that Texas was all flat. It was just all flat. Well, the only parts of Texas I've ever been to have been flat, but they tell me that there are hills in Texas. Is that right? Uh, yes? I'll have to go and look at that one of these days. <clears throat> That's it. So we are so uh, pleased to be with you tonight. It'd be nice, mate. maybe, Megan, you could just say hello or something, and then I'll get into the Word of God. Awesome. Hi. <laughs> it is so good to be here with you tonight. We are incredibly blessed uh, to be, as Andrew said, here in Texas and with you here at One Cause Church. And thank you, Pastor Eric, for the opportunity to share and to minister to your congregation. We uh, come with hearts that want the best for you. We really do. As Pastor Eric said, having pastored uh, two different churches that we planted in Melbourne for 16 years, and before that we had uh, four years of associate um, pastoral experience, so 20 years of our life. I, I know, you, you're all trying to guess how old we are. I, I get that. We, we were wee bubbers when we started in pastoral ministry. Did I just lie from the pulpit? Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> but uh, we, we have a heart for local church. And having pastored, we, we recognise that when a senior leader gives another minister the opportunity to share the word from the pulpit, we, we take that with great seriousness and we trust that the word that you receive tonight is rich, that it will go deep in your hearts, that it will penetrate uh, and divide um, truth from error uh, in your lives, perhaps some wrong thinking that you've been believing, that that will be corrected by Holy Spirit tonight as God's word goes forth, because we know that his word is power, amen? It has power to bring truth to our lives. And so thank you for the opportunity to minister on behalf of my wonderful husband of 22 and a half years. <laughs> now you're all really trying to guess how old we are. I promise to tell you afterwards the honest truth, but I'm going to hand over to the man of God who's going to bring the word of God. But before we do that, can I get you to stand and let's pray before we receive the word tonight. Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. We want to thank you, Lord, that you have good things in store for our lives. Father, we thank you that your word is truth. And Lord, when we, when we allow your word to, to go into our hearts, Lord, we receive it in our minds and our hearts tonight with open hearts, God. We know that it will penetrate deep. And Father, we ask for life change. Lord, we don't teach and, and speak just to make us, ourselves feel good, Lord, but we want your people to be changed by the truth of God. And so, Father, we ask tonight that we will have receptive hearts and ears to hear your word for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Have all of our baptized people got themselves some dry clothes? Are we all good? You're not going to be sitting in soggy pants tonight. We're all good. Hey, I want to honor you guys that took that step tonight. It is such an important one, as Pastor was saying. Uh, for 10 years, more than 10 years, we did mobile church. So we didn't have a building, and uh, we used little uh, apparatus like this. We would have party spas come in. And one, one, one year, um, it was getting a little late. It was close to service time. We had a five o'clock service at that stage. And we hadn't yet filled the baptism tank, and we had about 20 of our young people being baptized, and we had to do it in kind of a hurry. And so we saw on the wall, it was in an auditorium, a fire hose, and we thought, that will work, that's water, right? So we put the fire hose in, and we squirted the water up, and 
Then we started to smell this awful smell. And uh, I don't know how long that water had been sitting in a tank someplace, but it was really, really ponky. And uh, we had a guy in our church who sold uh, water features. And so he raced off home and he got a bunch of water features that we stuck in the pool. So we had lights and then we went and got some detergent and made bubbles so that it bubbled and we put some nice smelly salts in the air. And I just said to my guys, when you baptize these, these young adults, just make sure they don't swallow any of that water because I'm not being responsible for whatever happens to them. So you do need to be careful. My uh, pastor, when we were associate pastors many, many years ago at our church, we had to organize all the baptisms. It was a built-in big tank. And he got in and he baptized uh, the first girl. He was wearing a lav mic, one of those little headset things. And when he went down like that, the lav mic went straight under the water and ruined his $2,000 brand new fancy pantsy lav mic. So you do need to be careful. Lots of funny stories around baptisms, but... um, We were uh, blessed a few years ago to uh, be seated next to Pastor Bert Wimberley, who I know has ministered here and been a blessing to you. And, uh, you know, God used him at such a, uh, a special time in our ministry and our life. He spoke into our life, and it, it really helped confirm some things that God was speaking to us about at the time. And so we've got a special Texas connection. I haven't yet made it to his church, but I look forward to doing that. Uh, Maybe just a little bit about us before we come to the Word. As Megan said, we've been together for, I was going to say too many years. It's not too many years, but it's a long, long time, you know. We we met at university. Uh, We've been together for 29 years. That's amazing. 29 years. We've been married for 22. Uh, I was an anthropologist, and Megan was a secondary teacher before God called us into full-time ministry. We planted and led two churches in Melbourne for 16 years. About 18 months ago, on a very clear word from God, we handed our church over to some ministry friends of ours, and we began a faith-based teaching ministry where we help people overcome obstacles and apply their faith and walk in freedom. They're the things that we're just so passionate about. We believe that there are so many people in the world today, they may have connected with Jesus, but they're not living in the freedom that he made available to them. And so we want to help people overcome obstacles and break through some things. Uh, Megan and I also finance a kids' educational center in Cambodia for 100 street kids, and uh, they are just the most precious, amazing children uh, they came in at six, seven years of age, and they're nine and ten now. We have eight Kamai staff, young adults who are full-time staff at that center, educating those kids. We're not only seeing the kids saved, but their families are all coming to know Jesus as well. And hey, listen, God is doing great things around the world. In Cambodia, that place with such a horrible past, just the church there that we minister at, it has probably four or 5,000 people, 99% first-generation Christian. That means that apart from the expats, every person in that church got saved through the ministry of that church. Uh, we're ministering, uh, when we finish here in the States uh, for a church, uh, an Indonesian congregation in Singapore and then in Jakarta, and we know God's doing good things around the world, but we connected with these guys and we ministered for them. It's a, it's a fairly large church, multi-campus kind of church. Uh, the pastor of the church in Singapore is the senior pastor of 100 churches. And then his senior pastor is pastor of 1,000 churches. And when they come together in Jakarta for an all-staff meeting that they do four or five times a year, there are 7,000 full-time staff just for this church that that ministers all around the world to Indonesians. So God is at work, friends. He really is. Sometimes we don't recognize that, but good things are happening around the globe. And so we're just passionate about impacting the next generation and raising people up to be fervent followers of Jesus Christ. And so I love what you're on about. I, I think it's clear and it's bold and God has good things in store for you. I absolutely believe that as some of the people that I've connected with already. You know, we are part of Planet Shakers Church in Melbourne, uh, and they're a pretty wild bunch, but uh, just, a, just such a blessing to the body of Christ. Uh, and we are uh, supported financially by some incredible partners. 
So if you want to follow our adventures, you can do that. You can go on all these social media platforms that I don't really understand. My wife does, but Instagram and Facebook and all of those kind of things. Freedom Revolution Ministries. If you look there, you will find us. Uh, I tell you all of that, though, to let you know that what we preach, we live. I'm not going to tell you anything tonight that Megan and I don't live in our lives day after day after day. We put this into practice, and so we know that it works. But before we come to the Word of God tonight, what I want you to do, I know that you've got all settled and comfortable, but I would like you to stand just one more time because I want to make a faith confession tonight. I think it's good to remind ourselves of who we are in God and, (coughs) excuse me, what God has blessed us with. And so before we come to the Word of God, what I want you to do, whether you're used to doing this or you've never done this before, I want you to repeat after me. We're going to make a faith confession in here tonight, all right? Are you ready? So we're going to repeat after me real loud. Say, I am a new creation, predestined for greatness. I am a child of God, fully accepted by the Father. God loves me regardless of how I perform. His love for me never runs out. God is on my side. I will not fear. Holy Spirit is my helper. And I'm never alone. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am healed, whole, and the joy of the Lord is my strength. If you believe that, give him a clap of praise. You can grab your seats. Oh, so it's such a good thing to make a faith confession, to remind ourselves of who we are in Him. Well, we're going to look into the Scriptures tonight. We're not going to do 1 Corinthians, but we are going to look at Matthew chapter 9, because tonight I want to talk to you about the kind of faith that attracts miracles. That's what I want to talk about tonight, the kind of faith that attracts miracles. I was chatting with someone last night, and they said, what are you going to preach about? And I said, I'm going to preach about the kind of faith that attracts miracles. And this person looked at me kind of strange, like, is that even possible? What does that mean? Uh, Maybe they should have been here tonight. But I'm telling you, friend, if you are facing a major obstacle right now in your life, or if you've got a big decision to make, or if there is something going on in your life that you cannot solve on your own, you came to the right church tonight. I have no doubt about that because I'm going to show you the kind of faith that attracts miracles. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching tonight, a little bit of preaching tonight, and we'll see if we can figure out where we end up. Is that good? Can I see your hand tonight if you would be brave enough to say, I need a miracle in my life right now? Wow, just about every person in this room. Well, you came to the right place because he is the God of miracles. Amen. He's the God of the miraculous. I know that because in Matthew chapter 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus has just healed a little girl. In fact, he's done more than that because he's raised her from the dead. Now, I know that when we read that in the pages of the Scriptures, we think, oh, yes, Jesus just raised somebody from the dead. But I want you to think about that for just a moment. Jesus walked into this room. He spoke to a dead body, and the two of them walked out of there together. That's pretty amazing. Friend, you need to know tonight that when Jesus comes into your room, it doesn't matter what the doctor says, and it doesn't matter what your friends say. It doesn't matter what the doubters say. When Jesus comes into your room, dead things start coming back to life again because he is the one that causes what was dead to become alive. That's the God that we serve. He's the God of miracles. And so the news of this miracle must have gotten around. And obviously these two men who were blind heard the news. And I imagine that they were like, wow, If Jesus could do that, I mean, if he could raise a dead girl back to life, then surely he could help us. And so in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 27, we'll put it on the screen. This is what we read. As Jesus went from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, 
son of David. Now, the fact that they called him son of David tells us something. It tells us that they didn't just believe that Jesus was a good man. They didn't just believe that Jesus was a wonder worker. They believed that he was the Messiah, the son of God. And so they called him son of David. That's significant. They believed he was the Messiah. And the Bible says these two men, I can imagine they're, they're, they're holding on to each other because they're blind. They're shuffling along behind Jesus, and they're crying out, the Bible says, for mercy. Notice that. They wanted healing, but they called out for mercy. Is that the wrong thing to do? Well, no, it's not the wrong thing to do because we know that healing is a mercy, right? That the Bible calls our God the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And so just as he is a God who is merciful to forgive. He also has mercy to heal. But let's understand something tonight. When it comes to mercy, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. I mean, if you've always been a perfect person, if you've never done a wrong thing, then you don't need mercy. You could just get by on justice. If you've never done a wrong thing in your life, but if, like me, you've done a few wrong things. You know, I was the kid that grew up in church, and I got good, I, I hate to tell you this, but I got good at taking money out of the offering container rather than putting it in the offering container. Pastor Eric, we had those offering containers, the velvet red with the little wooden handles. And if you looked very pious, you could put your hand like this, looking like you were putting it in, and you'd just scoop some out. And so I would go to the local shops uh, during Sunday school and buy lollies with the money that I'd taken out of the offering. Now, I've been delivered of that sin, yeah, and, and, and I've repaid the debt. So if you've never done anything wrong, then you can get by on justice. But if you haven't always gotten it right, you don't want what you deserve. You want mercy. And thankfully, he is the God of all mercies. And I mention that tonight because especially when it comes to healing, the enemy will try to tell you that, oh, well, you've messed up over here. You've done the wrong thing over here. So you don't deserve healing. But friend, that's what mercy is all about. Mercy is us getting what we don't deserve. So these two men are calling out for mercy. Now, what we don't get from our English translation is how serious they were about getting Jesus' attention. You see, this little phrase, to call out or to cry out, means to scream at the top of your lungs. If I hadn't been in LA over this last weekend, I'd practice screaming at the top of my lungs. But you know, all the smog there did a little work on my throat, so I won't scream at the top of my lungs. But this was a word that was used to describe the sounds that a woman would make as she was going through labor pains. There were no uh, medicines and drugs and no epidurals back in those days. And so this is really natural childbirth, right? You understand? So it was a pretty painful thing. So, so let's understand that these two men, they weren't being polite and they weren't asking quietly they were yelling out as loudly as they could. They were screaming out at the top of their lungs. Why? Well, because they were desperate for a miracle. They were blind and they wanted to see. They didn't care how much noise they made. They didn't care who they offended. They didn't care if they disrupted anybody. They were blind and they wanted to see. You know, the closest thing that I've ever come to being blind, I went to the optometrist one time in the middle of the city, and he said, I need to do this little test. Some of you will have had this done to you. I think they outlawed it back in the 80s, but I, I was, I'm old enough to remember. They squirted this red dye into your eyes to make your pupils dilate, and then they would check. So you see, some of you people who are 40 and over know what I'm talking about, right? They would squirt this dye into your eyes. Your pupils would all dilate. And then they would check something. Well, he said, listen, I'm going to do this test and your vision is going to go blurry, but it'll wear off after about 20 minutes. So he squirts it in, 
took about two seconds to say, oh, yes, it's all good. You can go now. And then I walked out into the middle of the city, and I can't see anything properly, right? My vision's all blurry. I'm looking around, and these people, like, you know, remember Jesus talks about, oh, Jesus doesn't, but the guy that he's healing, he's like, can you see? And he says, yeah, but all the people are all, like, funny and stretched. Well, that's what it was like for me. The people were all big, and the buildings were all going like this, and I couldn't see properly. I was convinced in that moment that whatever this guy had done to me had caused me to go blind. I was going to be blind for the rest of my days. I was going to have to get a dog and a stick and learn to get around. I was blind. I was terrified in that moment. I felt helpless. I was afraid. And, and, and friends, it was only for 20 minutes. And it wore off just like he said. Now, we don't know how long these two men had been blind. Maybe they were blind from birth. And so if there was a chance that they could get a miracle that day, you can be sure that they were going to go after it. But I want you to look at what it says next. Because verse 28 says a very interesting thing. It says, when Jesus had gone indoors. I don't want you to miss that tonight. Here's these two men. Shuffling along, they're blind. They're crying out to the Savior for mercy. And apparently, Jesus keeps right on walking, and he goes inside. There's no indication that he looked in their direction. We have no record of him acknowledging them or speaking to them at all. So they're shuffling along. They're like, Jesus, Jesus, pick me for a miracle. Pick me for a miracle. But apparently, Jesus keeps right on walking, and he goes inside. So what did they do? Well, look at it with me, verse 28. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they responded, yes, Lord, we believe. Jesus touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, it will be done to you and their sight was restored. Friends, I want you to notice something here. It was not according to their social standing that they received the miracle that day. It was not according to the brand of clothes they wore. It was not according to the football team they followed. It was not according to how many Bible verses they could quote. Jesus said, according to your faith. According to your faith, it is done for you. And the Bible says, and immediately their sight was restored. Friends, that encourages me. That encourages me because it tells me that being a candidate for a miracle has nothing to do with what you did in the past. It has nothing to do with how educated you are. has nothing to do with how long you've been a believer. It was according to their faith that they got a miracle that day. You know, faith is one of the most powerful things that we can ever learn about. According to the Bible, it's how we're supposed to live. It's how we're meant to walk. It's the victory that overcomes the world. And that's why the Bible talks about it all the time. It's why Jesus talked about it all the time. If he was here today, they would say, oh, he's one of those faith preachers. Interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus all the time was talking about people's faith. But friends... The enemy wants you to be ignorant when it comes to faith because he knows that if you get full of faith and you start living by faith and acting according to your faith, that's going to remove barriers, it's going to bring down obstacles, attract blessing, and you'll start living in freedom. Jesus knew that too, and that's why he said, do you believe that I'm able to do this? In other words... Do you have faith to believe that I've got the power and the ability and the anointing to do this? And obviously they did because they said, yes, Lord, we believe. And in verse 29, the Bible tells us that Jesus touches their eyes. Now look at it with me, verse 29. Jesus touches their eyes and he said, well then, according to my power, be healed. Is that what he said? Oh, Maybe he said, according to my ability as the Son of Man, receive your healing. How about according to the will of God, be healed? 
Friends, Jesus didn't say any of those things. He touched their eyes and he said, according to your faith, be it done to you. Friends, I want to ask you a question tonight. Is it God's will for us to walk in health and wholeness? Is, is that God's will? Is it God's will for us to be flourishing in our finances? Is it God's will for us to be delivered from all fear? Is it God's will for us to be living in freedom? Absolutely, right? Now, we cannot receive something from God unless He has already provided it, right? But if He has provided it, we aren't supposed to sit back and wait for Him to give it to us. He's already provided it. So I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. If you've got a phone or something that you write notes in, just write this little sentence down. It will help you. Write down what grace has provided, faith must possess. What grace has already provided on the cross of Calvary, through the empty, <laughs> through the empty tomb, faith must possess or faith must receive. Jesus said, do you believe? And he asked that question. Because he wanted to know, would these two men apply their faith to the problem that they had? You know, Hebrews 11 verse 6, many of you would know that. The Amplified Translation says, without faith, it's impossible to please God at all. That's because God responds to faith. It's because God is drawn to faith. But, but, but some people get a little bit nervous when a pastor starts talking about faith. And I'll tell you why that is. It's because at some point in your life, you were believing God for something to happen, but it didn't happen in the way that you had thought it would happen or the way somebody had said that it would happen. And someone who didn't know their Bible particularly well came and said, oh, the reason it didn't happen is because you didn't have enough faith. Have you ever heard someone say that? Oh, you didn't have enough faith. If you'd have used the right confession, if you'd have bound the devil, if you'd have fasted and prayed and stood on your head for 40 days in the corner, then you would have gotten your breakthrough. The problem is you just didn't have enough faith. Friends, listen to me tonight. Just because that thing didn't happen the way that you thought it was going to happen, or the way that someone said it was supposed to happen, does not mean that you did something wrong or that you did not have enough faith. The Bible says that God has given to each of us the measure of faith that Jesus says is enough to move mountains. So you have enough faith. You have enough faith for anything that God has called you to do. There is a difference between having enough faith and using the faith that you have. And we're going to talk about that tonight. The disciples were confused about this as well. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 5, the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, increase our faith. They thought they needed more. Jesus was always talking about this thing called faith. And so they said, Jesus, increase our faith. I don't know what they were expecting. Maybe he would come and zap them. I don't know. But that's what they asked for. Well, Jesus responded and he basically said, listen, faith is so powerful that even just a little bit of mustard seed size faith is enough to rip a tree out of the ground and have it cast into the sea. In other words, he was saying, listen, boys, you have enough faith. You're just not using your faith properly. And so, friends, instead of asking how much faith do we need for a miracle, a much better question to ask is what kind of faith is honoring to God and attracts miracles? What kind of faith? And from this story, I, I can see three kinds of faith that is honoring to God and attracts miracles. And I want to share them with you quickly tonight. I shared some of these same keys in... Asia recently, and a lady who hadn't been able to see for 15 years had her eyesight completely restored overnight as she applied this word. I preached uh, some of these same keys with a young man sitting where Pastor Eric is sitting tonight in a wheelchair. I'd known this young man for many, many years. 
I hadn't even finished preaching. And he just felt that God was telling him to apply that word. And for the first time in 20 years, he undid his straps, got out of his wheelchair, and walked around while his wife just stood there crying and praising God. I'm telling you, friend, if you want a miracle in your life, get this down tonight. What kind of a faith honors God and attracts the miraculous? Three things. Number one, a faith that believes before it sees. That's the kind of faith that honors God. A faith that's willing to believe before it sees. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. You know, that word hope is the old English word. It means confident expectation. That's what faith is. Faith is confidence. Faith is being persuaded. Faith is the confidence that what we are believing for will actually happen, and it's the assurance or the evidence of those things that right now in the natural we can't see. Let's understand tonight, faith always deals with the unseen and the unfelt. Why is that? Well, because if you could see it, if you could feel it, it wouldn't be faith, right? We would like to be able to see it. You know, Jesus said, well, that's lovely, Thomas, that you now believe that you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. If you can see it and you can feel it, it's not faith. So I want you to show me your hand tonight. If you would say, Andrew, I am believing God for something, but right now in the natural, I can't see it. Can I see a hand? A lot of you. The kind of faith that attracts the miraculous is a faith that is willing to believe before it sees. Jesus said to these men, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And these two men who were still blind... Nothing has changed for them. They're still in the dark. They say, yes, Lord, we believe. See, belief is the key. I want you to hear me tonight when I say we don't receive according to what we need. We don't receive according to what we deserve. We don't even receive according to what God can do. We receive according to what we believe. You see that again and again and again and again in the Scriptures. I preached a message series one time called Miracles are for the Believing, Not the Deserving. And that stirred a lot of people up. Because we say, oh, but they so deserve a miracle. Well, that's wonderful. But what we see in the Scriptures again and again and again is people who receive their miracles according to what they're willing to believe, not just that they're deserving. That's why the Bible says in Mark chapter 9, 23, Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to those who believe. So I want you to think right now tonight about a challenge that you're facing. Might be a relational challenge, might be a physical challenge, a financial challenge. And I want to ask you tonight, in all honesty, do you believe that God is able to hear your prayer, respond to it, and give you the miracle that you desire? Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that He's able to turn around a marriage that's in trouble? Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's able to heal your broken heart? Do you believe that he could turn your business around? Do you believe that the name of Jesus is bigger than the name of cancer? Do you believe that? Let me tell you, 18 months ago, the weekend that we handed our church to a minister friend of ours and we stepped out into this new season of trusting God by faith to minister to the body of Christ, on that very weekend, I got a call from my mum to say that my dad had been admitted to critical care. He had multiple myeloma, and his cancer count was 98, right? So that's just like super, super bad. Well, we had a little meeting with him and all the doctors, and it was one of those meetings where, you know, they all come around and they sit and they say, well, listen, you've come to the end of the road. There's nothing more we can do for you. He'd been in critical care for 90 days. He won a little prize because he'd been there longer than anybody else and hadn't yet died. 
So we had the little meeting with all the doctors and they said, listen, there's nothing more we can do. We need to send him to palliative care. Sign the forms and we'll release him to palliative care where he'll die. Well, once we'd finished with that little meeting, we kicked everybody out of the room and Megan and I sat there with my dad, who is a believer, but a fairly conservative one. And I just looked at my dad and I said, dad, I love you, but I've got to ask this question. Do you want to live or do you want to die? And he looked like a prisoner of war, you know, camp victim. He'd lost so much weight and he's hollowed out and he's lying in the bed and he started to cry and he said, I want to live. I said, all right. Well, we're going to come into agreement with you that you want to live. We're going to start confessing good things over your life. We're going to kick out the people that you have surrounding you right now that are speaking death over you, family members who had organized things because they were convinced he was going to die. We, we, we don't want to have those people around too much right now. We're going to speak good things over you. We want to get some confession coming out of your mouth that you will live and not die. I'm telling you, friend, that man now, his cancer count is two, and the doctors can't believe it. It was 98 Apparently, you never get cured of this cancer. He's home, he's driving his car, he's living a normal life. God did that. God did that. The first kind of faith that attracts a miracle is a faith that believes even before it sees. Here's the second kind of faith. Second kind of faith that attracts a miracle is a faith that persists even when nothing is changing. Those two men could have followed Jesus for hours. And what did he do? Well, apparently, he kept right on walking and he went inside. I wonder if you could picture that. Here's these two men. They're shuffling along. And all of a sudden, it must have gotten quiet because the crowds must have dissipated. And they're like, whoa, what happened? Where's Jesus? Maybe somebody told them, oh, listen, don't worry about it, you guys. Jesus has gone. He's not going to help you. He's gone. Where's he gone? Oh, he went into the house on the corner. Maybe he was hungry for lunch. Now, don't you think it would have been the easiest thing in all the world for those two men to have gotten bitter and disappointment, disappointed and resentful towards Jesus that day? They've been following along, crying out for mercy, and apparently he's gone into somebody's place for dinner. Instead of getting disappointed, the Bible tells us that they grabbed the hold of one another and they chased after him. I don't know exactly the conversation, but I could imagine that they'd be shuffling along saying, come on, come on, bro, I think it's this house here on the corner. Well, what do you think? Should we knock on the door or should we just go in? Ah, oh, no, let's just go in. They'll either kick us out or Jesus will heal us. But we come this far, we might as well barge our way in. And apparently that's what they did. What kind of faith attracts the miraculous? A faith that persists even when it appears that nothing is changing. Paul says in Colossians 4 verse 2, be persistent in prayer and keep alert as you pray, giving thanks to God. And he said that because he knew that a faith that persists and an attitude of thankfulness, even when nothing appears to be changing, that's the kind of faith that attracts miracles. And some of you need to hear that tonight. Because you've been praying about something for ages and lately the enemy's been whispering to you and he's been saying, why are you persisting with that prayer? God's not going to come through for you. He's not going to answer that prayer. But I'm telling you, friend, the devil is a liar and you will get your answer because the kind of faith that attracts miracles is a faith that is willing to act and believe God and trust him even when there is nothing in the natural that appears to have changed. It looks the same. There are things happening in the spiritual realm. God responds to a faith that persists when nothing is changing. Number three, God responds to a faith that acts even when it doesn't make sense. A faith that takes action. That's what James says in James 2.24. He says, we are shown to be right with God by what we do and not by our faith alone. A faith that acts even when it doesn't make sense. Friends, can I tell you tonight, it doesn't make logical sense to give up 
your two full-time incomes, pastoring a local church, all things going well, step into a faith-based teaching ministry, believe God at the same time that you'll also have the finance that you need to finance uh, 100 kids in Cambodia at an educational center. In the natural, that doesn't make sense. Our accountant thinks we're crazy. Our bank manager thinks we're crazy. Some of our family members and friends think we're crazy. But friend, I'm telling you tonight, when God speaks and you know that he spoke and you step out on his word, I'm telling you, all things are possible for them that believe. I'm talking tonight about faith in action. Faith in action is building an ark when it has never rained before and everybody is laughing at you. That's faith in action, right? Faith in action is running towards a giant with nothing but a sling and a couple of stones. That's faith in action. Faith in action is getting out of the boat when all your brothers are too much of a wuss to actually get out on... Do you use that word? Is wuss a word we use in the States, right? Okay, good. And I make sure it wasn't a swear word. I tell you, Pastor Eric, I was at a conference, I'll just give you this for free, I was at a conference in Texas and, uh, with a bunch of senior pastors, and it was a really hot day, and I had on dressy shoes, and I said, we're just going back to the hotel to put our thongs on, and then we'll be ready for the next meeting. Well, I didn't know. No one in Australia calls them flip-flops, we call them thongs. They were thinking I was going to be putting on those, you know? So there you go. You've got to be a little bit careful when you cross-cultural ministry. Faith in... Now, you're thinking thongs now. Come on, we've got to shift our focus. Time's just about gone. Faith in action. These two men had a problem. It was a big problem. And they could have been tempted to do what many of us feel like we should do when we're faced by problems in life. They could have magnified the problem. They could have convinced themselves that God was never going to help them. They could have got all down on themselves and embraced the shame. Because back in those days, if you were crippled in some way, they would say, oh, well, you or your parents must have done something dishonoring to God. So they could have embraced the shame of that and lived miserable lives. But instead, they made a decision. Instead, they put some action alongside their faith and they did something. I wasn't there, but I reckon one of them turned to the other and said, bro, it might be bad, but it's not over. We might not be able to see, but we can hear. And what they say about Jesus is amazing. We can't see, but we can walk. We can get into his presence. We can cry out. We can get to him. We can't do everything, but we can do something. So come on, let's get into his presence and see what happens. I'm telling you, God responds to a faith that's willing to act even when it sometimes doesn't make sense. So let's make this really practical. And band, you can come. I'm done. What could you do this week to put some action alongside your faith? I want to ask you that question. Let's say you're sick and you need a miracle in your life. What could you do? Well, you can go to the doctors and you can do what they tell you to do, right? You, you can make sure that you're getting good rest and that you're exercising, that you're eating well. You can do that. And you can declare God's word over your body. You can speak healing in the name of Jesus and claim his promises. And see, now your actions and your faith are working together. What about if you need deliverance from an online addiction? What can you do? Well, you can put a filter on all of your computers you can have someone keep you accountable. You can stand in your authority. You can keep yourself pure. You can put some action alongside your faith. What can you do if you're married to an unbeliever and they're making it difficult for you to be in the house of God, be a follower of Jesus? What can you do? Well, you can love them as Christ loved the church. You can pray for them daily. You can speak words of blessing over them. And I'm telling you, friend, as you do what you can do, 
God's going to come alongside and do what you could never do. That's the kind of God that He is. What kind of faith honors God and attracts a miracle? It's a faith that's willing to believe even before it sees. It's a faith that's willing to persist even though it appears that nothing is changing. And it's a faith that is willing to act even when it doesn't make sense. Tonight, Jesus is asking you the same question that he asked of two blind men in Matthew chapter 9. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And for every person in this room that needs a miracle tonight, your answer should be, yes, Jesus, I believe. Yes, Jesus, in spite of what I see, in spite of what they say, in spite of how I feel, I choose to believe. I asked you before how many of you are needing a breakthrough. Just about every hand in this room went up. If you're in this place tonight where you say, I need healing in my body, I need a financial provision, I need emotional healing. I want to believe with you for that tonight. I'm going to ask right now that you put down your things, stand to your feet with me. See, at the cross, this was all paid for. What grace has provided, you can believe for tonight. You can receive it tonight. And so right now, if you're ready to do that, we want to put some action alongside our faith. We don't just want this to be a message that tickles our ears and we wrote a few points down. We want to believe God for the breakthroughs in our marriages, in our relationships, in our finances. We want to believe that the God of the breakthrough could come and visit our house. So right now, I want to give you that opportunity. I just so believe it's important to mark decisions by making a, by taking a stand, by moving, by doing something to acknowledge that we're responding to Him. Such a powerful thing. So here's what we're going to do. It's very simple tonight. I'm going to count to three in just a moment. And when I reach three, if tonight you're saying, yes, Jesus, I believe you. I believe you for this thing. I'm ready to receive it. I just very simply want you to get out from your seat and I want you to come down the front and I want you to take a step of faith. And by doing that, you're saying, God, in spite of what I see right now, I choose to believe and receive it in Jesus' name. If you need healing in your body, if you need healing in your emotions, if you need provision financially, if you need a breakthrough in some area tonight, on the count of three, I want you to take a stand. I don't want you to worry about the person on your left or on your right. I just want you to slip out from your seats and I want you to come down the front. You're taking a stand tonight to say, yes, Jesus. I will trust you for this thing. I want to see the manifestation of it and I believe it even though right now I can't see it. Are you ready to do that? On the count of three, if you're saying, yes, Jesus, I believe, I want you to slip out of your seat and come. One, two, three. You come right now. Come stand down the front. We're making a stand tonight. He's such a good God. He's a kind God. He has absolutely everything that you need. Right now, come, make a stand before Him. Yes, Lord, I believe.
Father, tonight, we thank You that You're a good God. We thank You that You love us so much. We thank You that You have only good things in store for us. You see Your people here tonight gathered at the foot of the cross. There are people hungry, ready to receive all the good things that You have for them. Father, I pray for manifestation of their miracle. I pray they would receive healing in their body. I pray that if they need a financial breakthrough, that You would be the God of more than enough, that You would be the God of the breakthrough for them. Father, for those who are in difficult relationships, difficult situations relationally in their marriage, Father, I pray for a breakthrough there. I pray for a healing. I pray for a restoration. Father, for those tonight who are looking for hope, situations and circumstances that appear hopeless, Father, I pray that You would be the God of all comfort to them. Father, I declare that children that have wandered away are coming home in the Name of Jesus. I declare them coming home today in the Name of Jesus. Father, I declare that breakthrough, manifestation of all that they've been believing for is theirs in the Name of Jesus. As they've taken a step tonight, You'll make a way. As they've taken a step of faith, You will make a way. For You're such a good God. Father, we worship You tonight. We honour You. We give all glory to You tonight. And we thank You that breakthroughs, deliverance is coming in the Name of Jesus. We worship You tonight. Come on, give Him a clap of praise. He's a good, 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 good God. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.